Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Daniel, Peter, John, and I'm Hazel. How is everybody today? We are all good. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we don't have any Ians today. No uh, Ians. We, we tried to invite both of them and they cancelled each other out and now we don't have any either. Yeah. So there may be a way of having more fun somewhere together. <laughs> if, if the two Ian podcast appears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rival podcast. <laughs> Um, got a really packed episode for you today. We've got the return of our popular quiz, Film Buff or Film Bluff. I just put popular in there, I assume so it, it is. I don't really know. Well, I know it. <laughs> also this episode, we are going to have a Harry Potter quiz challenge between Dan and I. Um, and we've also got some nerdy recommendations for you. So, nerd recommendations. Has anyone seen anything recently that they would like to recommend to the podcast world? Yes, I have. I have recently started watching season three of Star Wars Rebels, mm. which is a little bit behind what's airing in America on TV at the moment. They're getting towards the end of season four now, but I'm catching up. And it's really, really good. Tom Baker turns up as a guest voice, which I was not expecting. Mm. And there's a moment with one of the Jedi characters where it's almost exactly the same as the moment that lots of people disliked with Leia in space in The Last Jedi. So it was quite interesting that that has already happened and is an established part of Star Wars canon now. And did this series three come out before? Yes, I think it would have been summer 2016 it would have originally been broadcast. Everyone complaining about the new Force powers in um, The Last Jedi should... Um, Watch Rebels. Short up. Yeah, <laughs> short up. So where's Rebels 6? I've I'm, I'm not seen this. Um, Rebels is between episode 3 and Rogue One. Mm-hmm. So it's the very, very early days of the Rebellion. Um, you have characters like Vader and Tarkin turn up. You get cool other appearances. Grand Admiral Thrawn is a character in it, if you know your extended universe. But it's sort of setting up all of these very small rebel cells and how they came together to become an alliance of rebels yeah. uh, mm. that we see developing in Rogue One and then finished in A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but, um, John, you were telling me recently about the other new force powers we saw in the new film and how they've also been Yeah, uh, Ryan Johnson was on, on Twitter yesterday or when uh, as we were recording this. Um, showing a 2010 book called, I think, The Jedi Files, or the, the um, which is a dictionary-type listing of Jedi powers, and it includes the power to make yourself appear as a doppelganger. At, doppelganger? I don't know how you pronounce that word. <laughs> doppelganger. That, doppelganger. You can, uh, anywhere in the universe. So if you're an extra special, powerful Jedi, you can do exactly what Luke does at the end of The Last Jedi. Do you have to die, though? I don't know. The, uh, the, the, other, the other thing they talked about, actually, with him dying at the end, is somebody on Twitter posted what happened to his metal hand. Mm. Um, does it go with yeah. him? Does it just disappear? There's a big clank on the floor. Well, apparently, this is what they talked about. They were, they, they were saying at one point in the day, one of the sound designers said, oh, this should just be a massive, loud, metallic clank. That'll ruin the moment a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You could probably get around that with the 
level of the prosthetics that you see attaching the robot hand, maybe because it's technically connected to his nervous system or something like that (laughs) by a medical droid trickery, it counts as part of him rather than something he wears and it's okay. Because you never see him just take his hand on and off. It's possible you'd have have it restored once you became a false ghost anyway, in a way. Because wasn't um, Vader was restored? Yeah, he he had all his arms, all his legs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why why did Darth Vader come back as young Anakin Skywalker... But Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi come back as old Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, you mean in the as Force Ghost at the end of Jedi? Yeah. Because that was the last time he felt like himself. <laughs> oh, maybe that was the best of him. You've had, you've yes. had better answers, Dan. <laughs> maybe, yeah. like, maybe the Emperor liked being evil and sort of twisted. As opposed to pretending to be. Yeah. Uh, Obi-Wan had got used to looking like Alec Guinness. Hmm. Anakin had never looked at himself in a mirror after he was Hayden Christensen. And that's what he felt he always looked like on the inside. Oh, he just wanted to be loved. Yeah. As much as he loved Padme and hated (laughs) sand. But speaking of Ryan Johnson, um, you and I have both been listening to plug for another podcast, the Empire Magazine spoiler special special, for The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. Two hours of chat with the Empire writers who are all massive Star Wars fans Mm -hmm. and a half hour interview with Ryan Johnson. And it's really, really interesting. They go into loads of detail. They all really like the film as well, which is nice. And it's well worth listening to after you finish listening to this. Yeah, Yeah. any kind of problems or questions that you might have, uh, Ryan Johnson kind of addresses those and explains his thought process behind the decisions that he made. So does that make you feel even better about the idea he's doing the next trilogy? It, it it does, yeah. Um, you, you see the care that he put into each of the decisions that he made, and he did them for valid reasons. He didn't kill off Snoke just because he didn't like him. It was because um, it's all about giving um, Kylo Ren a different story to the, the Empire, so the Emperor and Darth Vader, and, mm. and that kind of dynamic. Kylo Ren's out on his own now. It's different. You know, this is a different Star Wars trilogy. It's not the same rehashed. Um, and to make bold choices like that. Is yeah, sick. and he kind of, kind of explains it's much <laughs> more... Peter's waving yeah. his hand at me. I don't know why. Honestly, um, yeah. <laughs> he explains it's much more interesting to have an unhinged, petulant Kylo Ren in charge of the First Order than another Emperor type doing the same kind of thing. Uh, but in the Ryan Johnson interview, what I quite like is he sort of drops in how deep his Star Wars fandom goes, talking about all the different sources that he'd looked at, including right down to the Force Unleashed video games. Did he pay you to stand behind him and whisper into his ear? <laughs> Dan doesn't need paying for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. Um, I, I wasn't all that. It's awkward yeah. on a night this <laughs> I am the holocron. <laughs> you say that, but you're the one who has a Porg in your home. Yes, we have a special guest. We have a, we have a Porg sharing the podcast with us this yeah. week. <laughs> He's looking at us. Okay, who else has been watching... Hazel, uh, I yes, my second home recently has been the Tyneside Cinema. Uh, seen quite a few things there over the last couple of weeks. Two favourites are Molly's Game, which is uh, the directorial debut of Aaron Sorkin. Um, Do they walk whilst talking a lot <laughs> down corridors? Uh, there's too much sitting down for me oh. in this because it's 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 a poker yeah. movie, so they have to kind of sit down quite a lot. So there's not as much corridor scenes as I would have liked. But... You get excited with a poker movie because it's not that exciting a 
sport to watch or games. So there was rounders a couple of years back, wasn't there? Oh, Matt, Matt Damon, Damon and yeah. John Malkovich. Yeah, it wasn't it really up. about the poker. It was about the kind of the under. The, it was about Russian gangsters, really. Mm. Um, Did any of it take place on Canto Bite? Um, no. Oh. No. No, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but it's a very, very strong performance by Jessica Chastain, who I really like as an actress, um, and Idris Elba as well. It's a very, very good drama um, and well worth a watch, even if you don't like poker, because it wasn't really about that. Really, really good. And the second one is Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman as uh, Churchill, unrecognisable Gary Oldman, apart from the eyes, and the occasional uh, foray into his Cockney accent, which is quite funny. <laughs> it's a really, really interesting look at Churchill, actually. Uh, he's basically in every single scene. Well, it's set during 1940 when um, it's, yeah, darkest hour, the kind of the, when the Allies were really on the retreat and uh, Europe was, was falling to Hitler. Um, you don't see hardly any of the war itself. You just see the reactions of the cabinet and the, and the war room. And you see the emotions that Churchill goes through when the decisions that he make, makes send people to their deaths and you can really kind of see that. And he, um, he changes his mind a few times and uh, it's... And the scenes where he's trying to rally people to um, his who are telling him to enter into peace talks with Mussolini and uh, and, and others, you know, trying to uh, bring an end to the war. And he's kind of saying, you know, that there should be no surrender, no, um, you know, at all costs we shall defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of a lot of disagreement with that at the time. And then he went on the on the tube and spoke to normal people and they were all very much in agreement with Churchill that, you know, we are not giving up our country to Hitler. It's it's a really unique look at it and I really, really recommend it. And if Gary Oldman does not win the Oscar for uh, for Best Actor, I shall eat something strange. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, is on record. It is on record, yeah. It's um, interesting, this is the World War Two film or war film that's getting all the Oscar plaudits because Dunkirk came out which is great. Which yeah. everybody raved about and seems to have been forgotten about. I don't know if it's because it came out early in the year. Probably. But no one seems to be talking about it for the big Oscars. It'll probably win some technical awards, but I think acting-wise, I think Darkest Hour might mm. uh, might take the brunt. It was um, Stephen Delane as well, who uh, is, what's his face in Game of Thrones? Stannis. Stannis Baratheon. Mm. The one yes. true king of Westeros. Yeah, he's very good in it. Um, so I, I, I think the director and the actors will probably go to Darkest Hour. Some of the technical stuff will go to Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd expect Christopher Nolan to at least get a nomination for Best Director mm-hmm. for Dunkirk, potentially over Joe Wright for Darkest Hour, if they're going to pick... Because I yeah. think in term, I haven't seen Darkest Hour, but I imagine mm-hmm. in terms of scale and scope, yeah, it's probably that little bit smaller than Dunkirk. Did, didn't Joe Wright direct Atonement? He did, which has I think even better scenes of Dunkirk than the movie Dunkirk. Possibly, mm. I think if if you if you want a movie on Dunkirk, you go to Joe Wright. You don't go to Christopher Nolan, <laughs> even though I liked mm-hmm. like that a lot. My outside shots for a best director nomination. I don't think she'll win it. But I think Patty Jenkins might get nominated for mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. That would be good. That would be great. Mm-hmm. That would be an yeah. unusual thing to be nominated yeah. Best Director for. But yeah. going, going back to Dunkirk's stuff, just uh, Dan will probably have known this anyway, but I didn't realise that the Churchill speeches we hear, you kind of assumed you were hearing a recording of the speech he'd made on the radio. Uh, mm. But that's not actually true. There aren't recordings of that. Uh, the, the, the ones we hear now, that if you're watching a programme and you hear it 
sort of on the radio uh, in the background. It's because uh, they were he kind of went and recorded these are my speeches greatest hits sort of thing okay. on LPs yeah. uh, within a year or two of actually having made the speeches. Um, yeah. And then that's what people that's what you hear. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a great scene which is um, the the only light in the scene of this is the red light, the recording light, and um, it's him about to kind of you know, give people an update on the war and he is changing things right at the very last minute and he's, he's telling his producers wait one minute even though they're going out live and he's like crossing everything out <sighs> and he looked like he just improvised this so, so if he likes to edit then how do we know that these greatest hits the, the the famous yes, lines that we all know, reason. you know, yeah. we shall fight them on the beaches. We may not say, you know, yeah. we shall run away on the beaches. <laughs> we shall hide on the beaches. He said that well. in Parliament, according to the yeah. uh, the, the movie. But, uh, it's yeah. interesting because mm. how many of history's supposed greatest speakers and speech makers will we never actually hear a speech from? Mm. Abraham Lincoln, for example, has the reputation of having these incredible speeches, mm. but mm. most of them were not written down or recorded in full at the time. None of them were ever recorded for sound in full. Uh, obviously, there were wasn't film, mm -hmm. and nobody alive has yeah. seen him speak yeah. in no. person. Didn't Lincoln have um, a reputation of historically that he had quite a high pitched kind of reedy voice, which is not what you expect from. You hear the you hear Lincoln's uh -huh. speeches in this big, kind of booming baritone, authoritative voice, and it was actually quite. Mm. whiny and reedy in the way that yeah. spoke and I think that's right and I think Daniel Day-Lewis mm. kind of tried to dig yeah. into that a little bit when he played Lincoln mm -hmm. and he could be Gary Oldman's top contender in the Best Actor Oscar. It's, it's his last film isn't it? He's retiring Yeah so. Gary Oldman is? No, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. He said that before though isn't he? He's come back mm -hmm. so I don't yeah. believe a word he says He's an actor <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, there's a. Is it like a wrestling retirement? He's actually mm. got to have six months off for an operation, so he's faking retirement. Potentially, and Gary Oldman should have yeah. had a uh, a battle royale. The one that doesn't win the Oscar has to retire yeah. from the film business. Would it be amazing? Churchill versus Lincoln. Would it be amazing if Daniel <laughs> Day Lewis did a a whacking Phoenix and says he was retiring to like develop a rap career? And <laughs> goes on a talk show, just stoned out of his head, but it's actually all part of an undercover kind of movie <laughs> role. That would be amazing. Did he not actually become a cobbler at some point because he did it as research for a role and then? He's Find he loved it more than acting. I, I think this is a bit of an urban myth. I think he went off to learn how to cobble for a film part or for a role or out of interest. And this got ex expanded in myth and urban myth to be, oh, he stopped filming for five years and now he's working as a cobbler in Italy. <laughs> he's a method actor though, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. What's the name of the film that he's in? That's uh, uh, Phantom Thread, which yes. is... Yep. Paul Thomas Anderson's new yes. film yeah. and they'd previously teamed together on There Will Be Blood which I think is an excellent film mm -hmm. and Daniel Day-Lewis is amazing in There Will Be Blood so if he's anywhere near as good in Phantom Thread Gary Oldman could have competition No doubt for a meal with Daniel Day-Lewis he drank my milkshake it was very yeah, um, but no, in, I haven't obviously seen the film, but in the trailer, Daniel Day-Lewis looks creepy as... Yeah, yeah it's got that vibe about yeah, it. But... I don't know anything about this. Is it? Is it to do with clothes making? The he, he's a tailor, is a isn't tailor. he? He's, yeah. He's, he talks about stitching um, his own initials or messaging into clothes and then nobody knowing but him. And then he comes on to the, the waitress. waitress. Yeah. 
Yeah, really selling it. To be yeah, uh, but they get together, and his inner life is quite turmoil, and they appear to not get on as well. Mm. Yeah. Later so is, is, in the it, film. is it a period piece or is it a modern fifties? I think. 50s. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I still, I miss fun Paul Thomas Anderson. I look, Boogie Nights is a brilliant film, one of my favourite films, mm. and there's such a joy and energy to it. And I think he's starting to take himself too seriously. Anything you've seen recently, John? Um, yeah, I saw three billboards outside Epping, Missouri, which I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really liked it. Um, Martin McDonough, McDonough is my second favourite playwright, uh, after Louise Taylor, who obviously... <laughs> <laughs> we should explain Louise is John's girlfriend. <laughs> and a very good playwright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she is. She is, she is brilliant, actually. Um, but he's, uh, I love everything he's done. I even liked Seven Psychopaths with mm. reservations, which I know a lot of people didn't like. Uh, but the Furman is a brilliant play. It's, it's really good, and it's uh, it's gentler maybe than some of his earlier things, but a little bit more low key. Um, the plot, for those that don't know it, basically uh, Princess McDormand, who is a, a shoe in for Best Actress, um, she has a daughter who is raped and murdered, and about nine months later, there's been no arrests, um, so she hires three billboards outside her town, and puts large billboards are basically challenging the police as to why nothing's been done and no one's been arrested and it spirals from there mm. uh, uh, you've seen this as well haven't you I have uh, yeah Daniel? and I agree it's really really good um, we watched Martin McDonough's first film in Bruges Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't watch it in the city of Bruges we watched it on Netflix at home <laughs> but uh, we watched the film in Bruges the night before we went to see Three Billboards yeah. um, so it was quite nice to see some of the through lines mm-hmm. in his work, some of the way he phrases things uh, certain actors who pop up in small yeah. roles in both films Were there three naked huckers and a racist dwarf there was, was a dwarf, not... The dwarf wasn't racist in this one no, Peter, Peter It Dinklage, was Peter Dinklage yeah. um, but what was nice about that is it was a role that wasn't dependent on his height or yeah. anything like that. I, I thought there was, a, there was a lot of a lot of people being offensive to him because he was a, a what's the technical term? A short a, person, a little person, a little person. Yeah, yeah. Um, like calling him a midget and stuff like that um, in Free Billboards. The other characters. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying Martin Madonna feels that way. He's obviously well. He's, that's too. I don't know about Seven Psychopaths. Yeah. but there's lots of I abuse towards people of reduced height as well. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird theme for his for his work. I've never met the guy. I mean, he could be two foot tall. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, it could be very unkind. Yeah, but Peter Dinklage is very good in the film. Yeah, yeah. and the supporting cast around Francis McDormand are all excellent. Sam, Sam Rockwell, great. Uh, Rudy Harrelson, yeah. very very good. Rudy um, Harrelson's wife, not so good. Um, Who's his wife? Who plays his wife? I think um, it was Abby Cornish? Yeah, uh, but mm. she goes through three accents in one sentence. <laughs> three accents outside Epping, Missouri. Is one of them Cornish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know she start, starts a sentence in America and then seems to go to Australia which I think is her native accent and then then start Welsh Irish and then back to American again to the point that I found it really really distracting and uh, we were kind of looking at each other in the cinema going where's where she supposed to be from yeah. um, but even the, the actors who turn up in really really small roles are very good John Hawkes plays Francis McDormand's ex-husband yeah and is simultaneously sympathetic and frightening mm-hmm. at the same, like at, from moment to moment. And his girlfriend is played by Samara Weaving, 
who, in a very short amount of screen time, creates a really fun, more light-hearted kind of character. Yeah. Um, she is an actress I know from Home and Away, <laughs> uh, where she she was on quite a few years ago. Are now, you, are you but, a fan of Home and Away? Um, I used to watch Home and Away. We, uh, my sister and my mum and I used to watch Home and Away uh, of an evening after school. Thirty years old this year. Anyway, so clearly she's moved over to America, trying to follow the Margot Robbie from Neighbours. Yeah, but she's very, very good in it, and is also related to Hugo Weaving. So there is Australian acting pedigree there. Yeah, but she's really good in Three Billboards. In what could have been just a very small one-note character, but yeah has probably due to mcdonough's script has got a lot of life mm-hmm. behind it every character there's no black or white characters nobody's good or bad i would say possibly woody Harrelson is the closest thing the film has to a good guy but he, even then he's the kind of police chief who will keep officers on the force who are obviously the sort of people who probably shouldn't be policemen yeah. Um, he just likes an easy life. I think. Yeah, yeah. And he's, I mean, he hasn't done anything about the case. Maybe he tried, mm-hmm. but there's clearly a lack of connection being made in the time between the murder and the start of the film that Mildred, Frances McDormand's character, feels yeah. she's got to do this and go to this length mm-hmm. to do something about it. So even if he tried his best at the start, there's been a disconnect since that's driven her yeah. to extremes. There's been some talking papers, um, some of the American papers, complaining about like the racial aspects of the film in that it's sort of overly simplistic, um, and also saying that Sam Rockwell probably shouldn't win an actor for playing a racist character. That, that just seems ridiculous to yeah. me. That I'd, making a film about a racist isn't the same as making a racist film. Mm. But they seem to have got, got sort of very light spoilers that he has kind of a rede- redemption arc throughout the film and he becomes, by the end of it, one of the more likeable and proactive characters. And people say, well, that's probably, you know, he's, he's a racist and they're making him into the hero of the film. Mm. I didn't get that. Yeah. I mean, there's, like you say, there's no sort of one end or the other. It's yeah. There's lots of shades of grey to everyone. Mm. Um, but there is an underlying small town yeah. America theme running through it. Sam Rockwell's character isn't defined by his racism. He's, in certain points, just as nasty to everyone, regardless of who yeah. they are. And I, it has that element to it. Mm-hmm. But to counteract that, you've got Clark Peters from The Wire, um, who comes in as a new officer on the mm-hmm. case and he is very reasonable and is clearly somebody who's had to put up with a lot of this stuff and he does feel out of place in that community probably intentionally whether that's supposed to be the point of the film I would disagree with yeah. but it is an underlying theme how about you Peter uh, well, a few different <laughs> movies um but um, perhaps the most relevant to, to what we... Uh, our normal area would be uh, Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman, which is a strange little film. Um, it's about a professor who, amongst other things, invented the lie detector. He has... Um, or did he? 
<laughs> well, there's one way to find out. <laughs> we will um, now hook Peter up to a lie detector <laughs> to find out if this is true. <laughs> um, and he he quite often has his wife in there in the lectures with him, who's also I think a psychologist of some, some sort. Um, uh, and they they end up in a sort of three way relationship with a, a sort of naive student who comes and joins them, and they live together. They have uh, children in sort of various combinations between him and the, and the two women, from what I can tell. Um, but also, uh, partially as a result of the disgrace of uh, living in that way and it then being difficult to become a, a lecturer, uh, one of the things he does is end up writing comics and ends up uh, writing the, the Wonder Woman comic. Um, and But also, he, he builds in his interests in things like bondage and... All sorts of other things. Obviously, the uh, the lie detector has a, a parallel in the in the lasso of truth. So bondage tying people up, lie detector. The lasso of truth is basically <laughs> every every fetish of his. Yeah, put pretty into much. One. Yeah, and <laughs> if you look at the illustrations as well, uh, it sort of correlates the sort of BDSM parties they go to mm-hmm. with um, with what ends up in the comic, and it, it is quite a strange thing seeing where it all came from. I don't know how it would have looked at the time, not having been around at that time <laughs> to look at the comics. Um, and certainly, I think they cleaned all of that all that out around the sort of sixties or seventies in the, the Wonder Woman comics, and then kind of brought some of their superpowers back a bit later on. Um, but it, I mean, it's an interesting story. It's not in any way a superhero story. Um, and if you know, it depends whether you enjoy these sort of. It's more like there's quite a few movies about sort of the lives of an artist, like the one about mm-hmm. Frida Kahlo or Henry and June or something like that. It's more that sort of movie. Generally, it just has quite a few comic books in it mm-hmm. as well. Do they have the rights to the Wonder Woman character? Then they do, <clears throat> but only in the comics. Though there's some stuff where she's trying on the um, the sort of bondage outfit stuff. Yeah. They light it from behind, and she's got a little tiara on and the sort of similar mm-hmm. sort of outfit. And they're trying to say, you know, this is where the visual look of it came from. And you see that on the poster for the movie as well. Is there something about sort of Wonder Woman being a, a feminist icon and this female empowerment figure that she is now that is slightly odd when you think about how she was created by a, by a man who liked a bit of BDSM and <laughs> sexy outfits and the like? I think, <clears throat> I think he genuinely loved women. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly it wasn't something... That they weren't interested in, <laughs> um, um, and I think they had quite a happy relationship and a loving relationship, despite its oddness. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's a, I mean, it's an interesting film. It's worth worth watching if it sounds at all appealing. What's yeah. the name of the film again? It's called Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Right, but um, I suppose with characters and you get into literary theory here. I'm afraid with the idea of divorcing the writer from his yeah yeah the the signifier and the signified I think mm-hmm. is is the theory do you take what the author originally intended a work of literature to be or does once it's published and out and being interpreted by different people is their interpretation of it or the common public interpretation what it becomes mm. does it always have to stay what its original author's intention was what if the author never makes their intention clear can it therefore never mean anything and things like that mm-hmm. i think with wonder woman she's taken on such a life beyond the method of her creation that you can't you can see the connections but you mm-hmm. can't really take her back down to what she began as anymore but that's 
my literature degree talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so those are our recommendations. Uh, if there's anything you've seen recently and you think we should as well, uh, give us a tweet. Or leave us a five-star review and put the recommendation in the review. Mm. <laughs> Just nice. saying. <laughs> Good afternoon, you rejoin us as John has just opened a packet of Galactic Puffs. <laughs> <laughs> Not for the first time. <laughs> yeah, we have Chewbacca on the front. We have barbecue flavour, Star Wars Pop Chips Galactic Puffs. What's they- that? <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars barbecue flavour Pop Chips Galactic Puffs. With fun to eat shapes and apparently they'll be popped with the force. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read, read the back and, and here. How, how are they going down, John? Nutritional information, John. Nutritional information. Uh, it says on the back here, <laughs> these are the snacks you've been looking for. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they must be so happy with that one. Every Jedi knows that boring snacks are the bath to the dark side, but munching on pop chips, collapsing puffs, is your first step into a new snacking universe. We've popped this light and airy snack into your favourite Star Wars shapes, which are deliciously gluten-free, with no artificial additives, colours or preservatives. Galactic puffs are the perfect on-the-go snack for fans of any age, and if your eyes don't deceive you, you may even find the secret shape. But don't worry, we never tell you the odds. Uh, if pop chips happen to be listening to this, we will accept a sponsorship deal. Hashtag pay the nerds. Yes. <laughs> So, um, Has the uh, Porg Nation stopped sponsoring you? Because you haven't mentioned Porg yet. Uh, we mentioned Porgs a little bit earlier. Oh, we have, yeah. 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 So you've got that on the side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're now going to sample. Uh, we have a, I've got a Millennium Falcon shaped chip here. But I have to say the yeah. shapes are less accurate than the ones on the front mm. of the packet. So. This, this one looks like R2-D2, so I'm going to um, swallow r 2 d Oh, hang on. <laughs> that, that's the secret shape. Is it? Oh. How, that looks like r 2 to me. No, there was a thing <laughs> about this. Can you find the secret shape? And we oh, have done, and it's R2-D2. Um, it doesn't say what... Still if we fancy it. a chip chat, we could call them. Um, or <laughs> um, we could email them at snackers at popchips.co.uk or write them a letter at Popchips Limited, the mother chip, oh. seven <laughs> lyrics square London. Um, it doesn't say what to do if you find the secret chip. I'd... I'm going to eat it. They're, they're excellent pop chips. Very good, yeah. And would be grateful for any no. sponsorship or marketing that Pop Chips could provide this podcast. So now we are going to have a Harry Potter off. So Dan and I are huge fans of Harry Potter, the books, not the films. So we're going to prove this trivia with a game of Harry Potter Trivial Pursuit. Now, Dan has an amazing mind and an ability to uh, withstand an enormous amount of information and regurgitate it in a very articulate manner. Angel doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I have what can only be described as a mediocre mind and I forget everything and have a very short attention span. Something shiny. So (laughs) I don't rate my chances, um, but I'm going to give as good as I get. I'm just hoping for some of that sweet sponsorship money from the Trivial Pursuit Company. <laughs> We're not saying that they're taking this too seriously, but the, the Harry Potter Trivial Pursuit game was bought yesterday 
and uh, Daniel insisted that it had to arrive still in its shrink wrap <laughs> to prove that Hazel hadn't opened it and read the answers last night. But then I she could have memorised. I could have bought two, <laughs> and this is the unopened. Yeah. <laughs> you see, this this all dates back to uh, the the night that we were part of a game of Risk, and we formed an alliance, and then I mercilessly. Bruce Bolton style betrayed Hazel yeah. um, and did end up dying for it. But Quite I'm right st- too. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. still awaiting the full revenge and I feared this would be it. Yeah, we uh, we conquered Europe together and then when Dan d- d- chose to betray me, he actually uttered the line, the Lannisters send their regards as he <laughs> took Europe away from me. You bastard. <laughs> I re- anyway. I regret everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're gonna. I'm gonna hand hosting duties over to John, who is going to conduct this challenge. Okay. The the rules of the game are simple. <laughs> uh, each of you has a buzzing noise. So Dan, your buzzing noise is Killyweed, and Hazel, yours is Expelliarmus. As soon as you know the answer, shout out your uh, your word, and if it's a correct answer, you'll get one point. The first to five points is granted the Harry Potter champion. <laughs> uh, the loser has to spend the night with Morning Myrtle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Okay. question number one. Your category is the dark arts. How old was Tom Riddle when he first opened... Expelliarmus, 16. It's the correct answer. Oh, good start. Okay, Uh, question number two. Magical objects... Who retrieves the sword of Gryffindor from the lake? Gillyweed. Ron. Yeah, fuck. Nope. Uh, Expelliarmus, Harry? The answer is Harry, and then in brackets, with the help of Ron. <laughs> mm. So I think I think you're closer there, so that's, a, that's two. Okay. This isn't the way... This isn't going the way... <laughs> I was hoping to... Uh, how are you feeling so far? I'm fine. I never predicted I'd win. <laughs> Okay, um, question number three, and Peter's going to ask the next question. Okay, um, what does Hermione add to the Polyjuice Potion in order to transform into Bellatrix Lestrange? Gillyweed, one of her hairs? To actually look at the answer first. Yes, the strand of her Bellatrix's hair. I'll just say it, so we'll put, um, <laughs> yeah. put your card on there. So I can see how much oh, okay. person has got, so I can right. score. For, for, for the record, <laughs> John was just making strange arching motions with his finger. It meant nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it meant something to me. Swish and flick, quote. <laughs> so I swished and flicked and it meant nothing to you. you uh, right. with, I thought it was a special Leviosa. moment. Yeah. John Guardian Leviosa. Yeah, John Guardian Leviosa. <laughs> Peter, do you have the next question? John Guardian. In the tale of three brothers, what prize does the first brother receive from death? Gillyweed. The Elder Wand. Yes, that is correct. Okay, your next question. Who is the Minister for Magic after Cornelius Fudge? Gillyweed. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Rufus Scrimger. It's correct, and that means Danny's taking the lead with three cards to two. I'm surprised he didn't really leave a gap to see if he jumped in. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for all the swearing. I get quite passionate about this. <laughs> And the next question is on animals and magical creatures. What is the secret to calming Fluffy, the three-headed <laughs> Play him some lovely music. I Playing think... soft music. I forgot what my buzzword was. So, so that's four, four, two. <laughs> so, so Daniel, you could win with the next question. 
Um, so we're going to let Hazel pick the topic. Okay. So you can have the dark arts, Hogwarts, magical spells and potions, magical objects, magical people, or animals and magical creatures. Um, I'm going for Hogwarts, please. Okay, Hogwarts. What is Professor Flitwick's first name? Gillyweed. Phileas. Yeah. Correct. Can you spell it there? F-I-L-I-U-S. Correct. So that means with five points to two, our winner of the inaugural and final (laughs) (laughs) Harry Potter trivia challenge is Daniel Watkins. Yay! Would you like to say anything? I put my name in the Goblet of Fire. It's a quote. It is. Did you... you, I said it calmly. Age age line and... uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you got two there? Is that, are you impressed with that spot? I did better than I thought I did, yeah. And obviously became overconfident at winning the first two and... Lost the ability lost. to say Expelliarmus. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. To I, make it fairer, next time we're going to put Dan in a soundproof booth okay. so he can't actually hear the questions. Is there like a, um, you know, next 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 question uh, wins and Dan has to sacrifice all of his winning so far? Can we do something like that? Yeah, we can just so, so you can win as well. Yeah. So we you edit that. it out so so that yeah. it sounds like you won. <laughs> I think in the editing this may go a different way. <laughs> could be interesting to try the method though where Hazel get asked get asked first and gets one chance to get it right and if she gets Okay, if Hazel asked, can answer this question correctly, yeah. then Hazel, this one is worth uh this one is worth a million points. Okay. Okay. So if Hazel answers it correctly, um what is Albus Dumbledore's full name? It's getting in the right order. That's a so he's got. This isn't my answer. I'm just thinking out loud. He's got Wolfric, Brian, and another one. Albus. I'm looking confident. Albus Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. I'm going to go with that one. I'm afraid there's one name missing there. No, no, no. I mean, I mean. I, but, uh, I as per the rules, Albus <laughs> Wolfric Percival Brian Dumbledore. Shit, Percival. Can I have that again? Albus Wolfric Percival Brian Dumbledore. I'm sorry. Ah. So, okay. It's where the Brian is. Maybe the Brian comes sooner. Alf, Alf, Albus Wolfric Brian. No. Is it Percival? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember which There's one There's a million points. This is, like, this is like the unjust rules of Quidditch. Albus. <laughs> thousand. Albus um. Wolfric Brian Percival Dumbledore. Incorrect. Um, <laughs> Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. One million and five points. Hurrah! <laughs> oh, justice is served. <laughs> so, John, is next week where we will be playing something else. Something else. <laughs> so, now it's time for Film Buff or Film Bluff. It's our regular quiz where each of the nerds recites three pieces of nerd trivia. But only two of them are true. So, Dan, how about you go first? Okay. Uh, slight introduction to this one. The day after we record this, I'm heading down to that London uh, in the south of our country to see the musical Hamilton, which I am beyond excited about. 
Uh, we've had the tickets for a year. It's about the racing driver. That's correct, yes. <laughs> um, or the Tory MP from the 80s. Um, but I would pay to see a, a Neil and Christine Hamilton, the musical. I did think about writing it for the Edinburgh Fringe this year, but uh, unfortunately when the real Somebody Hamilton show, yeah, uh, it got to its West End premiere, someone did a funny tweet about it that went viral. Um, so that was my idea, ruined. Um but the writer of Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda, has won an Emmy, a Grammy and a Tony during his career, leaving him with just an Oscar to win to become the 13th EGOT. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Only 12 people have won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar and Tony. Okay. Two of these three people have... One of them has not. Oh. Which one yeah. is not an EGOT? Julie Andrews, Mel Brooks, or Whoopi Goldberg? Okay, so just just to recap, um, uh, an Oscar obviously is movies. Yep. Um, an Emmy is TV. prime time prime time television. Yeah. yeah. You don't count daytime Emmys. Daytime Emmys don't count. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Grammys music? Yes. On Tony's stage play. Stage, yeah. Correct. Right. Okay. Okay, so we're looking at people who've done all Have any of them ever been King Vat at a Vat race? <laughs> That's a very niche reference. <laughs> Mel Brooks might have been. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think we're better than them all. Okay, so we, I mean, we might be able to either guess these or like, um, was Whoopi Goldberg ever in a stage version of Sister Act? At any I think point? she was. She's definitely won an Oscar. I don't think has Mel Brooks ever won an Oscar. Not that I can recall. I think Julie Andrews. I'm fairly confident that Julie Andrews has probably has won them all. But now I'm thinking, has Julie Andrews won an Oscar? But Julie Andrews would be a good kind of one to put in there as mm. to throw us off. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you get a Grammy for Sound of Music? I might do. Soundtrack. How album. long have been Grammys been going? A long, long time. Probably a long yeah. time. Yeah. Is it a name? Do you have to win a Grammy? As an individual, or can your Grammy be for, like, best soundtrack album? You could win a Grammy as a part of a compilation, I would have thought, in the same sense that if you are a producer on a Best Picture winner, you could win an Oscar ah, for that. Now, that makes Mel Brooks interesting, because yeah. Mel Brooks has Brooks films, which made things... I know that didn't win the Oscar, but the Fly, the Fly was a yeah. Mel Brooks yeah. production. The Producers? Um, that, did he do that? Yeah, I think he did quite a lot of films in the eighties. I think he was a producer. I think he might have won an Oscar as a yeah. producer okay. on something that you wouldn't necessarily associate. The Elephant Man. Did he was he a producer on the Elephant Man? Which may have won Best Picture, and Dan's got a face that suggests. <laughs> I think. I think. I think. I think, I think, I think Mel Brooks might have won an Oscar as a producer a on the Elephant Man. Uh, did a lot of musical albums in the 60s, like a com- right. best comedy album or something. Right. Mel Brooks sounds right. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg, definitely Oscar. Yeah. I think Grammy. She's done a stage in the yeah. past. Let's, let's try this the other way. Which is the one you think definitely had been? Because that's probably the one that was. Yeah, I mean, we immediately said, oh, well, it won't be Julie Andrews, but yeah. now I'm thinking I, that... I, I, I don't know... Dan, Dan's Dan trying to now, keep a, a yeah. zen face. Dan is actually not close to anything his eyes. It's like one of the masks from Games <laughs> yeah. of Thrones. Julie Andrews masks. and Primetime TV don't seem to go together unless I'm... What's Julie Andrews done on TV? Yeah. Could she have won an Oscar for The Princess Diaries, like a supporting actress or something? Poor. Why, um, 
don't remember that. Or did she win one for um, 10? No. Bad. I'm going with my gut and I'm going to say Julie Andrews. My gut is that yeah. Julie Andrews is wrong. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, is a, a lie. You are all correct. Yeah. <laughs> Julie Andrews has never won a Tony Award. Oh, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so she, she has been nominated twice mm. and would have been nominated a third time, but she refused the nomination because the play didn't get any other nominations. Ah, that woman gets better and better in my mind. Apparently she um, isn't in the new Mary Poppins film because she has an obscene amount of money. Um, oh. She kept asking for more and more money just to do a little cameo at the end and they've replaced her with... A CG <laughs> version of her. <laughs> CG movie. No, uh, they've replaced uh, well, her with an umbrella. Well, Emily Blunt's playing Mary Poppins. Uh, no, they've replaced her with Angela Lansbury mm-hmm. playing old Mary Poppins or a character mm-hmm. that may or may not be old Mary Poppins. I think they're going to do a Tom Baker's Day of the Doctor style. Okay. Mysterious cameo at the end. Ready for when they do the yeah. uh, reboot of Ben Knobs and Broomsticks. <laughs> <laughs> so what did uh, what did she win an Oscar for? Mary Poppins. Really? Best mm. best actress. I think. Yeah. Mm. But uh, Mary Poppins returns out at the end of this year, also co-starring Lin Manuel Miranda, ah, bringing so it full oh, circle, all ties in together. Good. Was I right with the Elephant Man for Mel Brooks then? Or was that I a, think so, yeah. yeah. I think I think he's won as a producer. He might have won a Lifetime Achievement Oscar, mm-hmm. possibly, which would count. I don't think he's ever won for Best Director or anything like that, but I think it's a Best Picture win. Yeah, it must be easier to get a Lifetime Achievement Oscar these days, though. I mean, the, uh, the list of elderly stars who we're not going to give awards to for a while is, <laughs> is getting longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I have recently visited San Francisco and I spent a lot of time walking around um, seeing all the uh, locations where movies were shot. So my film Buff or Film Bluff relates to films that were set in wholly or partially in San Francisco. Okay, so the first one is Dirty Harry. That was supposed to be set in uh, New York City, which is why it kind of feels like it is. Um, But the director, uh, Don Siegel, wanted to change it because the air pollution in New York had reached dangerous levels, so they couldn't actually do all of their outside scenes at the time. Mm -hmm. Second one, uh, also Clint Eastwood, Escape from Alcatraz. The dangerous escape from the prison wall, like climbing down the prison wall and into the water, it was performed without any stunt doubles. Those are the actual actors uh, doing the actual parts who were actually cast for their athletic abilities. But twice the director thought they were all dead because of the currents. Twice. So in other words, he nearly killed them once and did Let, it Let's again. go back in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Let's take two. Yeah. Uh, and the final one, Star Trek Four. The Voyage Home. That was that was the first that was the first Star Trek film to extensively film on location. Only one day was filmed uh, exteriorly for Search for Spock. So first Star Trek film to film. So all the stuff on the Genesis planet and two and three was all in studios. Yep. Mm. If that's true, actually. If that's if true, it's true yeah. yeah. If I'm not lying out of my arse. I know Star Trek Four was originally going to star Eddie Murphy, and that came horribly close to happening in the role that is the female whale expert. You're looking at me like I've seen it. Oh, sorry, yes, <laughs> I forgot you got Star, st- I, me and yes. Star Trek are just we're not acquainted yet. I imagine him fitting in about as well as Richard Pryor in Superman 3. I, 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 I will defend Superman 3 to my <laughs> dying day. Um, we'll see you in nerd court. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched it as a kid. I grew up and watched it as a kid and um, it was one of the 
four or five Betamax films that my grandmother had. So we had a limited selection of films when we went round. So that Ghostbusters, a very heavily edited TV version of Terminator and Trader Play, Trading Places will always have a very special place in my heart. Um, sorry, completely off the point there. <laughs> right, so we've got Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four, uh, first Star Trek film to uh, shoot extensively in exterior location. Yeah. The director of Escape for Alcatraz deliberately trying to kill his cast. Well, not deliberately, just he, he just thought that they were dead twice. And then tried to kill them again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, and then uh, presumably tried a third time, but they were fine. I think I think that's the bluff, and he actually did it three times. <laughs> yeah. He didn't learn his lesson. <laughs> and then the other one is Dirty Harry moved to San Francisco because yeah. New York was just too dirty. Yes. And a lot of other films filmed in New York around that time, though, didn't they? Some, there wasn't a mass mm. exodus. Well, Chinatown, things like that. French Connection. Sort of yeah. yeah. Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Um, so, but maybe... The pollution in New York made Dirty Harry appear less dirty. I, I, yes, hang on, is this, I can see where Hazel's brain's been working yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dirty yeah. pollution, yeah. yes. I mean, I think it may have just been it was cheaper to film there, or it yeah. had longer light, or something like that. Or, so, and it just, I think when you say it, it feels like a New York film, to me it doesn't. A lot of Dirty Harry is in the San Francisco location. I haven't, They're not in particularly recognisable San Francisco mm-hmm. locations. It could have been shot anywhere is there not a bit at the end on the bridge yeah there's a few which he's never spoken if it was his badge away then Dirty Harry 2 is just back on the force yeah like Dirty Harry 2 back on the force (laughs) it's like police or the son of the mask because he throws the mask away at the end of that and then it turns up again or something Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm A lot of uh, there's a lot of films like that where they have the ending and then it does better than expected and there's some hasty reworking like Let's forget the last scene of the uh, the, the previous case, film. Or in the case of Kingsman, bringing back your, one of your leads from the dead. Yes, yeah. The, the Evil Dead films do that. Every Evil Dead film starts with a recap of the ending of the previous Evil Dead film, but changes something to allow it to continue for a sequel. Huh. Um, right, so... What are you going for? Two, two of these are true, one of them is not true. Correct. I don't think Dirty Harry is true. I will go with that being untrue as well. I'm going with the Alcatraz one. Oh. John, you're right. My brain is not that clever. I went (laughs) Dirty Harry, air pollution. Um, they know they made a conscious decision to the film outside of New York for that reason that there had been a load of films made in New York at that time and mm. they wanted something different so nothing to do with air pollution I made that up yeah. but no it's um, in Escape from Alcatraz so um, I was going to say Dirty Harry because I can't actually remember his name now uh, Dirty Harry and uh, two other escapees were actually hired partly for their athletic ability to climb down the wall of Alcatraz and I've been to Alcatraz and it is a very very steep wall to climb down to get to the water so treacherous um <laughs> thought about it I and i thought in, I, again I, we may not leave this in but i got in trouble once visiting a famous air disused prison i went what to what did um, you do I, we, I was in south africa and i went to robin island where oh um, i know this i know where this robin is going island. that's a weird thing to go where you put <laughs> i know where this is going and there was a tour of um the, the the prison on Robin Island, the famous prison, and we go through this tour, and at the end, the point through, and they go, um, and this is Nelson Mandela, Mandela's cell, and I turned around and went, oh shit, he's escaped. Do <laughs> 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 you go to hell? <laughs> You'll go to hell, John. 
as we go there. Mm. Yeah. Um, Straight to the bad place for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have a film bluff or film buff. I have three facts just about films that I was watching. Three what? Three facts. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was either three, three farts or three fucks. And then you kind of combine the two and went three fucks. You don't combine them, that moves the mood. <laughs> I have three facts about films, one of which is a lie. Okay, number one. Christian Bale based elements of his performance as Patrick Bateman in American Psycho on Tom Cruise. According to the director Mary Harron, Christian Bale said, when looking at Tom Cruise, he saw this very intense friendliness, but with nothing behind the eyes. Mm. Number two. uh, Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves both went to surf school for Point Break. Um, Patrick Swayze wasn't a great surfer and Keanu Reeves was a natural so as a result quite a few of the shots of Patrick Swayze surfing are actually Keanu in a blonde wig (laughs) 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 and finally (laughs) I want that to be true (laughs) finally um, when the T-1000 turns into a replica of Sarah Connor at the end of Terminator 2 when the two servers are fighting each other Rather than special effects, they just got Linda Hamilton's twin sister in to play the other other Sarah Connor. I think several of us know that's a fact. Yes, I have heard that one before. I am taking myself out of this. I know exactly which one's the bluff of part of my research. So So I'm taking myself out. Well, my having having known the subject of your research, I believe I now know the answer too. Bollocks, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But you may know that it's you may know it's true. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, That's true, yeah. Yeah. No, the double bluff. Hang on, mm-hmm. if it was a lie, why would you bother learning that it wasn't true? Therefore, it has to be true that you've got the blonde wig on. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're okay. saying it's true. Yeah, yeah fine. Yeah. <laughs> that is, uh, that's bollocks. That's flawed logic. <laughs> Keanu Reeves couldn't surf at all. No, Keanu Reeves um, couldn't surf. Patrick Swayze was an actual surfer, but I don't think Patrick Swayze had a Keanu Reeves. He'd, um, he'd been on. on a board a few times, but mm. he wasn't a natural surfer. They all went to surf school. That part was true. Yes. Um, the um, the actress Laurie something Laurie Petty. Mm. She'd never been in an ocean before. Yeah. So Poor she girl. Had to start from scratch. <laughs> was she a prisoner? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite common. It's just America is so big, yeah. which we often don't realise because we are about ten minutes away from the coast. So. Um, mm. And I had a, had a friend come over and visit, and it was like the first time she'd ever seen the sea. She'd mm-hmm. seen lakes that were so big you couldn't see the other side, and almost looked the same, but she'd never actually seen. I suppose yeah, if you're in middle America, you could be thousands of miles away from an ocean, mm-hmm. other than yep. flying over mm-hmm. <laughs> to get here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Peter? Yeah, uh, mine are three musical-related questions. Uh, not musical, but musical. <laughs> uh, the first <laughs> you're one going is... to sing them all. <laughs> Danny Elfman composed the main theme for Batman in his kitchen over breakfast, which is where he says he comes up with all his best things. Was he having breakfast or was he having dinner, 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 dinner? (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very good. Uh, The star of Mindhunter, Jonathan Groff, sings lead on the Glee version of Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm -hmm. And the original TV Spider-Man theme song was written by Paul Francis Webster. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, I haven't seen Mindhunter. He's the guy from Glee. But Jonathan Groff, 
I do know does do musicals because he is George the Third in the original Broadway cast of Hamilton, which, yes. as I may have mentioned, I'm quite excited about seeing. <laughs> yes. um, so I'm going to go with that one as true. Yeah, but uh, I know he was in Glee, but the question was specifically, did he sing the lead in Bohemian Rhapsody? Based on how good he is in Hamilton, I will say yes. He's mm. got a touch of that theatricality about him, certainly in that, and I think he's in Frozen as well, that would lend itself well to trying to sound like Freddie Mercury. Uh, well, see, the second one was... The second one was... Well, another one was Danny Elfman composed yeah. the mm. main theme for Batman in his kitchen. It's like Cluedo. It could be like it could be in the kitchen, but it could be in the dining room, mm. or in the basement. Well, I think we all agreed that Daniel wrote the theme Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, and the third one was the original TV Spider-Man was song it? was written by Paul Francis Webster. Which is the Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I think I... that I think the Glee one is false because I think. You're trying to lure us in with some correct <laughs> facts about, <laughs> him, be, about, about him being a yes. singer and being in Glee. But I think he may not have done Bohemian Rhapsody. It's weird because he now spends quite a lot of his new role. He spends a lot of time listening to people saying, Mother, I killed the man. Oh. <laughs> You're on a form today, John. <laughs> um, I, I just think the Webster thing is true, un- untrue because I think it's too convenient. Mm. And it's just one of the, yeah. This is Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever spider can. Yeah, Spider-Pig. <laughs> spider-Pig. Yeah, I think, I think Webster is untrue. I am... What nominations are? I am going to go with the Danny Elfman one being oh, untrue. So we all think, this is, this is a first. Uh, we can't agree, we all think something different. Mm. Okay, and the winner is uh, Dan. Hooray! <laughs> uh, he actually wrote the theme tune for Batman on an aeroplane and sang it into his dictaphone. Really? Yeah, so oh. that's, that's a false one. Um, and Jonathan Groff does you? actually quite a good version of Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> as, as Dan expected. I have never seen an episode of Glee, and long may that continue. <laughs> That's not really qualifies a shameless gap, unfortunately. No, unfortunately. Yeah. Shameful no. gap. Get it right, Peter. <laughs> oh, yeah. He is very good in Hamilton, though. Are you going to see Hamilton? I might have mentioned <laughs> it, yes. Tuesday. And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've certainly had a lot of fun. It was full of fun. (laughs) Full of fun. (laughs) Um, Please do subscribe to our podcast channel. Uh, Give us a review, a rating. That would be awesome. And we we also have a lot of um, nerdy discussions on our social media channels. So please get involved with those at Nerdfest UK across Twitter and Facebook. Join in the fun. Um, but for now, thank you very much for listening, and you have been listening to Daniel, Peter, John, and I'm Hazel. See you later. Bye. 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 Being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs>